You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Been praying about uh, what God would have me share tonight, and uh, this is actually a message that I would probably say has been over the years in the making. And I've probably preached portions of it various places, but God has just laid this on my heart tonight. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. Thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells dig, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, for thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his names. Goes on to talking about don't go after other gods. Gods are the people which are round about you. But then stay focused and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage, the passage of Scripture that the Israelites knew so well. They knew this command. They knew it like the back of their hands. And every dad took it, or many dads took it seriously. Lord, I pray today, or just tonight, this brief time we have here together, Lord, that it would stir our hearts and help me also, Lord, as I bring this message that just your spirit would be in our midst and we would have receptive hearts tonight. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. How many fathers do we have in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, how many young men that aren't dads? Maybe you're not married, but you're a young guy in here. You're, you might not, don't have any children. You might even be married. Raise your hand. Okay, that catches the rest of you guys, all right? Well, if you're a young man, 14, 15, 16, you shouldn't wait till you're 25 or 30 to think about being a dad. Start thinking now when you're young, all right? And I'll talk about that a bit in my message. But really, this applies to all you dads. And ladies, don't clock out because there'll be something for you also. This passage is called the Shema Creed. In Hebrew, that basically means it was the most important scripture, first of all, to the Jewish culture. In verse 4, it says, here in the sense of obeying. Moses was not only teaching the priority of believing in one God, but he was trying to preserve that belief, how important that is, okay? Back in Iowa, in our farm, back in the year 2002, uh, I put a, on our sign on our farm, it says S-H-E-M-A, Holsteins. We have Holstein cows, Shema or Shema Holsteins. And underneath that sign, it says Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. And the reason I put that on there, it doesn't make me any more righteous than any of my neighbors, but I can get very sidetracked very easily. And from time to time, when I pass by that sign, I look at that Bible verse and realize that's the most important job I have as a dad. 
Yes, we try to milk cows at home to support to make a living, and many of you guys have your various occupations. But we should not forget how important how important that really is. There's a story that was said a number of years ago. Uh, two Baptist men were in church or somewhere one day, and they saw three young boys out there, maybe nine, ten years old. And the one gentleman said to the other, he says, uh, you know, one of those boys is a Catholic boy, and, and the one boy is a Jewish boy, and the one is a Baptist. He said, do you know what they're going to be when they grow up? And the one guy goes, no, I, don't, I have no idea. He said, well, the Catholic boy, he'll be a Catholic. The Jewish boy, he'll be a Jew. And the Baptist, only God in heaven knows what he'll turn out to be. And I know we laugh about that, but it's really more true than I wish it was. And so tonight, I'm here not claiming to be a Paul Revere, but obviously in 1776, when Paul Revere did the famous midnight ride, the wake-up call, up and down the New England countryside. Today, I want to wake up the church. We need to do much better than we're doing. 85% of our young people are leaving the church, leaving the faith after they come back from college. And we can do much, much better, I believe, by godly principles. So what's the most important thing we get out of this? Well, in verse 2, he says, that Thou mightest fear the Lord my God. You know, we've heard a lot in the last couple of years about making America great again. And I understand, and I'm not at all poking fun at our previous president, and I think it was a great slogan. But I think more importantly than making America great again, and just focusing on that, if one dad at a time, and I'm speaking to myself, could get a heart for his children, you'd be amazed what a difference it could make in our nation. If you go back to the summer of 2020 and look at Portland, Oregon, all the cities where all this rioting, Minneapolis and many others, rioting taking place, I will guarantee, by and large, those young people did not have a loving father that cared about them. And you see, they're, 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 they're venting their frustration and their anger. And so we're seeing that happen. Fearing God is the single most important thing we as Christians need to do. So dads, tonight, I want to challenge you. Give some vision to the next generation. Every now and then, one of my children, Rebecca is notorious for that she's 13. She comes up front of the bus and she goes, Dad, can you just cast a little vision? And I know what she means. It's like, what are we going to do today? What's going on? But, man, we need to be casting vision. You know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. True story, a while back, some scientists took a rat, a live rat, and they put it in a jar of water. And they turned off the lights. And that rat started swimming round and round and round. And about three minutes, that rat just gave up the ghost and died, okay? Maybe gave up the ghost isn't the proper word to use. But I think you know what I'm saying, just conked out, he drowned, whatever. They took another rat and put it back in the water, and they put a light bulb at the top of that jar. Anybody want to guess how long that next rat swam until he died? How about 37 hours? Because he had vision of where he thought he might get to go. So he kept two healthy rats, same experiment. We've got to do better casting vision to the next generation. The prisons are full today of men and women that come from homes without vision. And this passage of Scripture talks about loving God. And if we love God, we're going, to want obey, we're going to want to obey His commandments. We're going to want to love our children enough by giving them responsibility. I'm not a big proponent of Dear Abby, but she said something very profound a couple years ago. She said, if you want your children to keep their feet on the ground, put some responsibility on their shoulders. So people or parents, give your children responsibilities at a young age. Find chores, make something, get him something for the oldest son, Mitchell, when he was about six or seven. Um, we went and bought some calves for him and my daughter, Chelsea, to feed. 
We didn't make a dime off of those. I know we didn't. It was a nonprofit organization. But anyhow, he would say today that taught him a valuable lesson on cold, snowy winter days. He had to go out and feed those calves. Find something. You can maybe get creative. Talk to my wife and I afterward. Booker T. Washington said, few things help an individual more than to place responsibility on him and let him know you trust him. Responsibility, parents, is not a curse. It's a blessing. So give it to the children. They can take it at a young age. Good fathers are able to discern their children's hearts, souls, and minds. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, said it's better to build men than to mend boys. He had a real heart years ago to teach young men. And I think we can learn a lot from him. Those of you tonight on earlier, there was some, some of you still have some children on your laps or at your sides. You're raising tomorrow's forefathers. Think about that. So they, back in the, in the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, they understood how important this was to teach your children as you rise up, as you lie down, as you go the way. I have a friend in Ohio. I'm not this good of a dad. He has a job that takes him five days a week, four or five days a week away from his family. And uh, he will, on his phone, and today we've got all kinds of technology we didn't have. On his phone, he'll record a message, a Bible lesson. And so his wife plays it at noon when he's gone. She plays it at noon to the children. So get creative. We've got technology and ways to do that. The second point I'm going to shift off on tonight a little bit. I'm going to touch on marriage a little bit. Mark 10.9 says, what, there, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Friends, we've lost the value and importance of godly marriage. I'll give you a quick history lesson. In 2001, 2002, the average marriage age in America was right at 22 years of age. Today, in 20 years, we're almost at 29, and that's not even an honest reflection of what's going on because many couples are just living together. So I'm going to have Hudson come up tonight. I don't know if we have any young men here tonight, but I was really burdened by this about 12, 13 years ago. Hudson was two. He's 15 now. And so when I was a young boy, we did the whole the dating game, boyfriend-girlfriend thing, and there wasn't any talk or vision about what a godly marriage is supposed to be. I got convicted of this a number of years ago. So I went to my sons and I said, we need to change some things in the Bond Trigger household. So would you tell these folks tonight what I challenge you to do at age two and what you've done ever since? I've prayed for a wife every night before I go to bed. He prays for a godly little wife. You can go sit down. I always tease him. Maybe, he'll, maybe she'll just be really short. I don't know. But he prays for a godly little wife. And you know, we laugh about that. But the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a... That's right. So why not pray for a godly wife rather than next Xbox or video game or whatever may come along, okay? So a lot of that was free, but I'm pretty passionate about it, as you can see. As ahead in Deuteronomy 6, keep your, go ahead of chapter 20, or verse 20. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. And I'm going to read the next five verses here. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, upon all his household, before our gods, before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive, as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Wow. Talking about going back and looking at the great things God has done and then telling the next generation about it. I wonder sometimes if the reason so many young people are walking away from the faith that they don't see, don't know about the great and mighty things that their God has done. 
I think about that. It's rather sobering if you really think about that. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 8 says, not to remove the ancient landmarks. So you might be sitting here tonight and saying, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? I'm just going to give you a couple practical examples. This is not to elevate me at all. But what I'm about to share with you, I could have any one of my children come up and share this with you because I have told them. A couple landmarks, obviously the one when I got born again, that was the most important one in my life. Your children should be able to all tell the story to their friends of when mom and dad got saved, okay? That should just be foundational. They should be able to know what God has delivered you from. But in the year 1992, we were married about two, three years, and uh, I came in from work one day. My wife was sitting at the dining room table, and she just listened to Judge Heckman on Focus on the Family. And she said, I heard Judge Heckman talk about how Christians are more anti-abortion than they are pro-life. And she says, what do you think about allowing God to bless us with as many children as he would give us? And I had never thought about that. A lot of thought, you know, maybe we'll have several children. I didn't know. And actually, when we got married, the doctors told us we may never have any children. True story. I remember we prayed about it, and I said, okay, Lord, we'll take whatever you give us. And they started coming one by one. Not two by two. She did it the hard way, one at a time, all right? We have ten blessings today and six waiting for us in heaven because of miscarriages. But the point I want to make tonight, I want to challenge you. That was a landmark that my children know about. It was a step of faith. In our travels, we meet people from time to time that come up to us and say, we so wish we would have allowed God to bless us with however many he was going to give us. I've never had anybody come up and say, if we just would have stopped three children sooner. Follow me? And I thought about this tonight. I thought about, here we are singing with our five youngest. If we would have stopped, brother, with our first four or five, that would have been it. We wouldn't be singing here tonight. And so that was a landmark. Another landmark for me was about year 2001. I was in sales, and I was making very good money. Financially, things were going well. In the front seat of my truck, I had one of these bag phones. The younger generation doesn't know what I'm talking about, but you plug it in your cigarette lighter, and it was like a big, fat Bible almost with a little antenna on it, okay? And my wife, we were home educating our children, and she called me one day about three, four times about problems with the children. And I was wanting to take that phone and just throw it out the window in the ditch. I thought if she could just let me go and get on to the next client and so forth. And that night as I was in my motel room in Memphis, Missouri, room 101, I was kneeling beside my bed crying out to our family. And Malachi 4, 6, and I'm not going to take a lot of time on it, but there's a reason God put that verse in the Old Testament. He talks about what happened at Horeb and some of the great things that happened. He reminds him that in verse, chapter, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, he simply says this, talking about Elijah the prophet. He says, He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. The Lord spoke to me that night and said, Marlon, your heart is not turned to your children. If something doesn't change, you're going to have a train wreck. And I remember it was almost like an audible voice that evening. And I won't bore you with all the details, but we made a lot of radical changes. I ended up selling my business. My plans was to go back home on the farm and milk cows and live happily ever after. Never had any plans to go on the road like we do now. But that was a huge step of faith for me. It was a landmark. And I really believe today the problem we have in America is we have a problem with fathers' hearts. And that's why our nation is such a mess it is. Hearts aren't turned to the Lord like they should. They're not turned to their children like they should. And there's a reason you moms maybe have told your children when they go out the door to the grocery store to get something. The last words mean something. Don't forget this or don't forget that. There's a reason God put that in the very end of the Old Testament. I would also challenge you tonight, 
do you have a family ministry? Now, you might say, is that Bible? Yeah, it actually is. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and they were having a lot of problems, a host of troubles, and it wasn't a lot different than today. And he said, in verse 15 of chapter 16, he says, Consider the house of Stephanus, for they're addicted to the works of the ministry. I would ask you tonight, are you a Stephanus? Can your pastor count on you? And maybe you don't know what to do. Go to him and say, is there something you would have for us to do as a family? I'm not knocking other programs and so forth. I'm just saying, moms and dads, dads, figure out something you can do as a family together. And it's amazing, amazing what that can do for your family. I remember when our, I was too young, I was sidetracked, not too young, I was just too, un, I was unfocused. It was all about farming and making money. My wife would take our littles and go to the local nursing home. And she'd go in there and she'd sing week after week to those folks. In fact, an ironic thing, Miss, uh, is it Joanna, is that right? My daughter-in-law Bryn's grandmother went there and we would sing to her week after week and we didn't even know who Bryn was, okay? It's just crazy how that was. Anyhow, they would sing to these folks at the old folks' home. Squeaky violins, piano, probably sounded terrible. And I wasn't doing the job I should have as a husband, as a father, but then we started going to Iowa City to the soup kitchen and so forth in various places. But that was some of the most precious times as a family, doing things like that together, and then going into the prisons and so forth. So you, maybe you're not into music, but I promise you, if you went to your pastor, he could say, you know what, since COVID happened, we've got a whole bunch of elderly folks that nobody's paying attention to. If you would just write them a card, or go visit them, or give them a meal, they would love it. Find a family ministry. Paul singled out, he singled out the church there in Corinth. He singled out the family, the household of Stephanus. The church today, I believe, is one generation away from extinction. I really do. One generation away from extinction. In Judges chapter two, you don't have to turn there. It talks about Joshua one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. In fact, I named a son after him. We name our sons after Joshua and Caleb, but we don't name them after the other spies. You think about that? But here is a really sad account. Joshua was dead and gone. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Harith, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. One of the greatest Old Testament figures of all time, and a generation rose up that knew not the Lord. Where are your children going to be 50 years from now? Are they going to be a generation that rose up and knew not the Lord? Are they going to be like that one man said to another? Only God in heaven knows what they'll turn out to be. I guess to recap, I would say, do you children know that you fear God and you love him? Do they know him? That's the most important thing that was drilled into the Hebrew culture. Do they know that marriage is important to you? When I say marriage, it's between one man and one woman. For better or for worse, till death do us part. They know that vow is a serious vow. And by the way, young ladies, start praying for a godly spouse also. And I want to caution you young people. And where it travels, it didn't used to be like this. But today with social media, you can get sidetracked. You can get, there's a lot of horror stories we come in contact with of young ladies on Facebook and other, other forms of social media. They meet what they think is Prince Charming. 
and it is not Prince Charming, and they have a life of regret. So I caution you, stay connected with your dad. Let him walk you through that process. But young guys, get a vision for marriage. And then your personal testimony. If you're married here, make sure your children know your personal testimony. You might say, well, that's not going to save them. Well, technically that's true. It's not. But friends, we can make the gospel of Jesus Christ inviting to them. I don't want any of my children going through what I did in my teen years. God saved me from some deep, dark valleys. But you know what? In God's eyes, little sins are no different than big sins. We're all born sinners, every one of us. So make sure your children know that. And then lastly, do you have a ministry? Do you have a ministry? Now, you might be a single person sitting here and saying, well, that sounds great. Someday when I'm getting married, I'm gonna, my husband and I, we're going to rally the troops. We're going to go do some great things for God. Don't put it off. Start right now. Be a Stephanus now when you're single. And just cry out to God to help you walk through life. You know, tonight, this might have been a bit of an unconventional message, but I would challenge you. I am deeply burdened tonight what's happening in America. We're going to some dark hours. We really are. I think back of just what happened about three, four weeks ago at inauguration when there was 25,000 troops at our nation's capital. And when I think of our current president getting up and hardly a mention of God, millions and millions of dollars spent in security. So I think back in 1953 when Dwight D. Eisenhower wasn't a perfect man, but the first 90 seconds of his inauguration was with a prayer, a heartfelt prayer to an almighty God. Before the day was over, the story says he called Reverend Billy Graham and asked him to come to the White House as soon as he can because he had just got born again not long before and asked him to come to the White House and baptize him. Mr. Eisenhower was baptized on day 10 of his presidency. The only president, by the way, ever to be baptized at our nation's, at the White House. But the point I want to bring out to you tonight, when he was asked later in life what caused him, or what his fondest memory was of his growing up days, he said it was back in that Kansas farmhouse when Dad at night would get out the family Bible and read it to us. Lived a life of ups and downs, was in the military, was a general, wasn't a perfect man. I'm not sitting here to elevate him over any other president tonight, but I'm just saying, wasn't ashamed of who he served. And by the way, he rode in an open motorcade that day with almost no security, 70 years ago. But let's not dwell on that. America is in a dark hour, so it's time tonight we get real with God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.